Welcome to Channel 76 Public Access Television. It's time for Dr. Frankenweenie's Dongle Feature Show. Welcome, foolish listeners, to the most gruesome and horrifying show. We will be your hosts through the macabre, the terrifying, the most early 2000s of films. Join us, sit back, and enjoy the show! You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. We all go a little mad sometimes. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the city. No bra, no panties. No bra, no panties. No bra, no panties. Oh, hey guys, welcome Hi, in. One, oh my god, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> welcome to the Carpenter Queens podcast, coming to you live from TCQ Video Store, where you can pick up the best and worst in horror for only sixty-nine cents a day. Welcome in, fellow queerdos. I'm a bitch. I'm a lover. I'm a child. <laughs> I'm a mother. No, I'm not Meredith Brooks. My name is Raymond. Yes, hello. <laughs> hello, everyone. I just shaved my chocha and I'd like to get to know ya. My name is Nicholas. <laughs> yes, Missy Elliott. <laughs> hello, everyone. Welcome to our second episode of season two. Uh, the energy's good in this one. I'm ex- I'm so stoked to talk about mm-hmm. this week's movie. I didn't realize how excited I was until I actually popped in the movie. Oh, amongst mm. other things. <laughs> this is our second week in our new releases. This is our Halloween horror month. Mm. And it's spooky time now, everybody. Do you feel it? Do you Officially. feel the energy? Have you been drinking gallons of PSLs to get your fix? What is your don't? What is your favorite part about spooky time? Oh, my favorite. Obviously, my favorite part of spooky season are the haunts. Everyone who's close to me knows that horror nights is my Christmas. That is my Mm -hmm. bread and butter. That is my New Year's. Whatever your favorite holiday is, that is it for me. Um, I've already done horror nights for (laughs) me. Personally, we've already done Horror Nights this year. We've already done Had Herses. We have our sights set on Knots Nets, and then who knows where we'll go from there. But that's how that's my favorite part of spooky season. What's yours? My favorite part about spooky season is just besides the colors, I love the colors of fall. The Mm -hmm. colors of fall are just so warm to me. I love my only outfits are fall outfits besides that i don't know how to dress for any other season but i think my favorite part about spooky season is that everybody gets to enjoy the spookiness during the same time period because we're always spooky it's spooky 24 7 365 up mm-hmm. in this bitch but then when everybody gets to participate it's just so much fun i love it i love it it's such a good feeling i love fall and this year feels really good this season feels really good going into it getting ready because hello we're back everyone we're back 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 back, mm, back again mm, 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 mm. 
Yeah, we were back a lot sooner than I anticipated, but we're back. <laughs> we couldn't we couldn't not be here for spooky season. That would have been sacrilegious. Thank you. Those were the you took the words out of my mouth. It would have been sacrilege if we did not do this. I mean, we already do sacrilegious things. <laughs> I know, but we're not gonna add this is that is super sacrilegious. That's I know. It's not on no, not on our watch. Not on my watch. <laughs> but before we can talk about funny enough, sacrilegious and terrifying things, we would love for you all to leave a comment and rate the podcast. If you love what you hear, hit that subscribe or follow button wherever you are streaming us. Leave a like, leave a comment. It really helps us out. Help a bitch out, y'all. <laughs> bitch is poor. Bitch got no money. <laughs> for real, though. <laughs> Weirdos, we are going on to this week's recommended rental. Up for rent this week, we just dropped out of Windsor College when we talked about Scream 2 in our premiere episode. But this week, we make a terrifying trip through Rob Zombie's hallucination trip in his directorial debut. Listeners, this week's recommended rental is 2003's House of a Thousand Corpses. set out across the back roads of America. What's that? It's a hitchhiker. What, should we stop? We can't leave right here in the rain. In search of a mysterious figure known only as Dr. Satan. You know anything about the legend of Dr. Satan? Yeah, I can show you. Dr. Satan! Ah, Dr. Satan! What they uncovered <laughs> You ain't seen nothing yet is the most horrifying and shocking tale of carnage ever seen. Well, I bet you'd stick your head in the fire if I told you you could see hell. You seen this girl? Yeah, they want to play Nancy Drew with this local legend that people call Dr. Satan. Stupid kids probably got themselves lost. Let's get out of this nut house. <laughs> the boogeyman is real. <laughs> and you found him. From director Rob Zombie comes a journey into hell. This can't be real, this can't be real, this can't be real. House of a Thousand Corpses. I'm so stoked for this. So stoked for this. I, I'm a big fan. Um, you, 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 yeah, obviously. To say the everyone least. at home who can't see that Ray is repping their. What year was that? Halloween Horror Nights. What? This is 2010. <gasps> the shirts are looking. I beg your pardon. We're not going to talk about the gear <laughs> or how old this T-shirt is. Okay, it's seen better days. I had to make it into a cutoff. Uh, but this is from the first year that we had um, House of a Thousand Corpses at Horror Nights. And as you can see, it's got like the artwork from the movie cover, which is super dope. Yeah, I'm a big fan to say the least. Yeah, I cannot wait for you to, I know you're gonna geek out on a lot of the stuff on this movie. It's, I have a lot of things to say about this movie though. So 
fucking buckle in girls because we're going for a ride let's go girls <laughs> i agree i well we'll get into it we'll get into it you can stream this 1970s love letter to horror on prime video or amc plus pass that buy it do what you want with it i i okay I just, i'm gonna let the cat out of the bag i've never finished this movie fully up until we <gasps> had to do it for this podcast i I've seen Devil's Rejects before I saw House of a Thousand Corpses, and I'm gonna blame my age because she's so young and fresh. Oh, God. So I wasn't able to see it until then. So this was my first time fully watching it, and I can't wait for us to get to the breakdown, is all I'm gonna say. Before we break it, break it down. 420, what you smoking? What did you pair with this week's movie? This week, I thought I'd go a little classic and Ooh. smoke a joint. But since this isn't really like, a I don't want to, I'm not trying to diss it, but it's not a classic, but it's like the sick, like you said, it's like the sick hallucination. It's like a, a hor like a 70s horror movie trip on acid almost. Like oh, amped yeah, up a little absolutely. bit. A little? So I, uh, I took advantage and I smoked an infused joint Ooh, from Canadigro. And uh, bitch, those things are fucking strong. <laughs> they laid a bitch out. Uh, they were joints like rolled in resin and then dusted with keep. They were strong to say the least. I saw the weed, they were strong, they were loud, and they me up. Mm -hmm. That sounds delicious, and what a perfect pairing. I was worried for a split second. You're gonna be like, yeah, I took a few tabs of acid before. <gasps> before oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been far too much. I don't know if I could have handled that. Whatever, I wasn't gonna judge. <laughs> As we just like scarf down more caffeine, the other drug that we can't <laughs> let go of. Hold up, I was drinking water. You oh. were taking a sip of caffeine. Yeah, no, I had my water too. <laughs> What did you smoke with this week's rental? I made sure to write it down because I am super impressed with this one. It is sour cookies. I've had strains Ooh. of cookies and sour things before. This one was so, <laughs> it's so good. It has been the stash that I like keep to the side. I'll break it off and mm, put it into other things. That good, good. That good, good. But I needed to smoke a full bowl when I watched this movie and before this recording. It is, it is fully required. It just makes me feel good. It's very uh, behind the eyes and really like sensory in terms of like color, which I really like. Ooh, okay. Mm -hmm. It like, it for, for me, it's really good. And it heightens everything in this movie. And this movie's already heightened enough as it is, so it was probably and a real trip dead. to watch this <laughs> amplified. Absolutely. So let's begin. Let's check out the VHS's special features and find out how this movie was made. House of a Thousand Corpses was released on April 11, 2003. It has a very surprisingly clean runtime of an hour, 29 minutes, and it is rated R. Duh. Like, it's <laughs> self-explanatory. But For our real. taglines are pretty excellent. They are so grindhousey. It's delicious. I love it. The most shocking tale of carnage ever seen. The movie some never wanted you to see. There's no turning back. True horror is back. You'll never get out alive. Life and death are meaningless and pain is gone. 
I love them. I hear, I always hear the guy with that raspy. The most shocking tale of carnage <laughs> ever seen. <laughs> that was really the good. I never wanted you to see. It hurt so bad. My queer voice hurt. <laughs> oh, she's butch. She turned on the butch. <laughs> for two seconds. It's like the Hulk. Like I can only turn into it <laughs> for a few minutes when I'm threatened. And then uh, <laughs> Uh, I love uh, these taglines are great, especially the first one, the most shocking tale of carnage ever seen. Uh, that's my favorite. That's great. It's, it's so perfect. It fits the aesthetic beautifully. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna ask our just first impressions before we really dive deep. What was your first introduction to either Rob Zombie or House of a Thousand Corpses? No, I knew of Rob Zombie's music before he had started directing. Mm -hmm. um, I think I first heard his music from uh, Brian Chucky. Um, that was <laughs> the fitting. Dead Girl theme song in the beginning. Dead Girl. Uh-huh. And then I was like, ooh, what is this? And then I was slowly introduced to his music and his whole aesthetic. And it's great. I love it. Um, and then it was, I actually, I was introduced to before that when I watched <laughs> Beavis and Butthead do America, their feature film debut, and Rob Zombie animated that trippy acid trip uh, scene in the desert. And it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> crazy. Um, so yeah, that I was already I was already aware of Rob Zombie before his directorial debut. And so when I found out he was coming out with a movie, I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting, especially because there was a lot of hype around it and his imagery and his aesthetic. And it's always shocking. And obviously he's a fan of horror because this, as you stated, this is, movie is like a huge love letter to 70s horror. Specifically like grindhouse film, exploitation mm -hmm. films, mm -hmm. and anything that you probably shouldn't see as a child. And yeah. that is, it's wonderful. And it's weird, twisted and demented and fucked up way. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> did you see this one in theaters? Did you, how did you get a, a, a taint of this one? I didn't because I was still, I was still in high school when this came out, so I couldn't go see it. It was rated R. I don't think I watched this until it was out on DVD. And to be honest, fuck, it's been so goddamn long. I don't even remember if I rented it or bought it. I might've just like purchased it and- Took the diamonds was, off. Yeah, because I knew I was, regardless, I wanted, I needed to see it. I knew I needed to see it. And I remember watching it and I guess they'll save my first impressions for when we actually get to the breakdown, but it's, it was something. <laughs> You'll stop traffic. <laughs> uh, what about you? Were you like aware of Rob Zombie or was this like your first introduction? This may sound shocking to most people, but you're the only one that's really seen the evolution. I never used to touch horror movies. I wouldn't go near mm -hmm. them. You introduced me to horror movies with Final, Destina Final Destination and you forced me to watch it. And it mm -hmm. wasn't until many years later that I got a hold of it. And Rob Zombie was a big one that I was aware of, but too scared to watch. Now I'm desensitized and I can watch <laughs> anything. <laughs> So when he came out, I was aware of him. I knew more of his music than I was aware of his filmography. But like now you are fully aware who Rob Zombie is, either from his remake of Halloween, the sequel Ooh. to that, or his other films, especially The Devil's Rejects. Like I said, this is my first time fully watching this movie as a, I'm gonna bleep my age 29 year old. Um, <laughs> uh, you stupid bitch. So it's really interesting to see something that I was so scared of as a kid now in a viewpoint where I watch horror consistently. So yeah. It's, it's, it, you're right. 
it's a, it's something. <laughs> I have to laugh. <laughs> All right, so let's just dive into it. In his directorial debut, we have singer, songwriter, filmmaker, voice actor, composer. Talented, brilliant, uh, incredible, amazing. Whatever else he is on his IMDb. <laughs> Rob Zombie, who also would write this one, and you can totally tell. Oh. This, <laughs> <laughs> this, this is the start of uh, Zombie's infamous dialogue. Oh my God, the dialogue. The script, the obscenities. Oh my goodness. Like it, it makes our podcast sound like a church sermon. Isn't it? Isn't that fascinating? People who think that we cuss too much on this podcast, you need to back the up because. You need to Zombie, on the other hand, zombie, these, it, there's literally an F bomb within every two phrases. And it's honestly pretty wonderful until it starts getting repetitive. Uh, and it, whew, and honestly, the dialogue just only gets worse as his filmography progresses. Because by the time they get to Halloween, they're talking about skull. F- oh and yeah, just... yeah, they are. We're gonna. Sorry to everyone, but the sensor button is gonna be going off. The it's gonna be like you're listening to Morse code for a couple of. Sorry, Sid Haig is Captain Spalding. Bill Mosley as Otis, Sherry Moon Zombie as Baby Firefly, Karen Black as Mother Firefly, and unrecognizable Chris Hardwick as Jerry honestly. Goldsmith. I honestly did not realize it was him until the f- uh, end credits. Aaron Daniels as Denise Williams. Well, excuse me, Denise Willis. Jennifer Jostin as Mary Knowles. Rain Wilson as Bill Hudley. Gagged. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, about Rain Wilson? <laughs> yes! Walton Goggins as Stephen Nish? Sure. Tom Towel. <laughs> Tom Towels as Deputy George Wydell. Matthew McGrory as Tiny. Robert Allen Mukes as Rufus. Dennis Fimple as Grandpa Hugo. Harrison Young as Don Willis. William Bassett as Sherrick Frank Huston. Erwin Keyes as Ravelli. Michael J. Pollard as Stucky, Walter Fellin portrays Dr. Satan, and Greg Gibbs, who is a production designer as Dr. Wolfenstein, is and he's like this like uh, like character within a film within type of deal. Film, yeah, it's cute. Film. And Dr. Excuse me, and Rob Zombie makes a cameo as Dr. Wolfenstein's assistant. I didn't even clock that. I could. I didn't know it at all until someone told me. I was like, uh, uh. I didn't even know you were there. There was too many things to look at. <laughs> there really is. There's a lot going on in these films. There's so much going on in a lot of these movies. There's a lot of, There's a lot going on in this movie. It's a sensory overload. It I've... is. Ooh. And I watched this before I went to bed. This is probably the like the worst thing to watch before I went to yeah, bed. Not because this is... it's scary. I've watched no, it's stimulating. Things. But this cast is... Rob Zombie likes to play with character actors. I have to absolutely state that. <laughs> and they're good. I, I, okay, so I have very, very mixed feelings about some of the actors in this movie and mm-hmm. some of the action choices done. And I'm gonna just state that to Rob, Rob Zombie's like first time up to bat. Oh, Not yeah. to say though that a lot of the performance moving forward in this filmography are fantastic. Okay. Agreed, agreed. But like Karen Black as Mother Firefly, she's, I love her. I love my Mother Firefly and Captain Spaulding 
is interesting for me. I like him as a character. I like, I, I like what he does, but there's just mm -hmm. some points where I'm like, I'll get to them. I'll get to them because that whole opening is I have words. Ooh, words. she's got opinions. <laughs> okay, let's get to because I have opinions too. You don't need to be confused and you have lots of opinions of me tonight, Shay. Do I look upset to you? So let's move on to reviews. Our IMDb score is 6.1 out of 10. Our Metacritic is 31 out of 100. And one of the more strange Rotten Tomato scores for me is a 20% on the Tomato Meter score and a 65% on the audience score. I'm gonna say Reflex. Metacritic, not so much. I find it, I've looked up some of the reviews. I normally mm -hmm. don't like to read into the reviews. I don't think people understood what this was going for, but we'll talk about this timeline later on. But I think that is very important, especially looking back, what was going on in horror when this movie came out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I understand the Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter score. The audience score is surprisingly high, in my opinion. But maybe I, it was a lot of fans that were going. I don't know. This movie has a big cult following. This has a huge cult following, and I could see why. There are there's so many things in a lot of cult cult films that I can see gravitate towards people. There's a lot of movies that I adore that I know only big nerds are aware of. And this company <laughs> Chopping Mall. Ch leave Chopping Mall alone. <laughs> By the way, Hello Destination 180, I loved Chopping Mall. I listened to it this morning and girl, same. Anyway. Thank you. Have a nice day. This movie is it looks and feels and feels like it was meant to be made as a cult film. Like that was the full oh, intention. Yeah. Mm -hmm, this was mm -hmm. never gonna please anybody except for big horror heads. Absolutely. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree 100%. This is first and foremost, like a grindhouse cult film. Mm -hmm. If you didn't get that from this, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, this wasn't for you. <laughs> yeah, no, it did. Bye, go on, go see the Sandra Bullock movie going on next door. Cause this <laughs> is not for you. Go watch Miss Congeniality. Moving on to production. The budget is up for debate. The film may have started with a three to four million dollar budget, but Zombie has later claimed the budget to be between seven to 14 million. So you be the judge of that. That is quite the, like, that is quite the variance between budgets. I think there's such a variance because I know of all the reshoots that happen later on. Mm -hmm. And because it's all the shit that's intercut between scenes. It's... We'll get to it. The editing style choices and the footage that is used in between scenes was a choice. Choices. Um, so I think like he's trying many to... things in this movie. There are choices. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's trying to factor in all that like post shoot stuff that they had to reshoot in order to. I like, know he also funded <laughs> some of his own money into the production, so that's probably mm -hmm. where some of this is coming from. Mm -hmm. But the, according to IMDb, the official number is seven, but. I, you can take that as you may, how this money was spent and where it was put, because I could not touch the production on this one. The production is, in my opinion, just like perfection. Mm -hmm. I love the production designer's work on this one. I mm -hmm. think it's stunning. Sensory overload, stunning. I want to see the receipts. Yeah, I don't know. As like a free, let me put my hat on. As a freelance production designer myself, I just like, I have mixed feelings when art directors and production designers just overload the scene and everything with a bunch of shit. And don't get me wrong, I understand that these characters were meant to be portrayed as like pack rats and gross and disgusting, excuse me, disgusting. 
Um, so I get why it, all T all shade. It was very much like they recreated the Texas Chainsaw Massacre home. And then like, it was like Texas Chainsaw Massacre house. Meets Rocky Horror Picture Show. No, it meets uh, Hoarders. So it was very <laughs> that. Shady bitch. Sorry. There were I don't many know. dead cats, so you are probably- <laughs> <laughs> There was a smash cat in the corner. I saw, I have mixed feelings when they just like, it's just Overload. like so grotesque, but I will give them like Captain Spaulding's museum and that dark ride is freaking phenomenal. amazing. It's phenomenal. Um, I will also give them the catacombs, Dr. Satan's lair, other sets and the home and other pieces of the film are stunning. So, it's but just you some have parts, contention with the house. Yeah. Some parts, not the entire house, just some yeah. parts are just like, oh, you're just like, overflowing the scene with shit and garbage like jiggly caliente on drag race just oh my to like God. make it feel some type of way save those feelings because I, there's so many fire hazards in this house that i need to mention <laughs> <laughs> not to mention the biohazards jackie okay but there's too many candles in this house right now <laughs> <laughs> do you have a fire extinguisher where are the fire exits oh please for our script, apparently in 1999, Rob would work with Universal Studios on a haunted house maze for their Halloween Horror Nights. For a maze that would be called The Thrilling, Chilling World of Sabrina. I mean, Rob Zombie. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> From this work, he would be inspired to come up with a pitch for what would later become House of a Thousand Corpses. They would pick up the pitch from a 12-page treatment he would create. And fun fact, the names of the Firefly family within the script are taken from names of Groucho Marx characters, referencing Animal Crackers in 1937, A Night at the Opera in 35, Duck Soup in 33, and A Day at the Races in 37. How obscure and like, what's a philophile of you? Oh, I know. <laughs> of these names. I knew about the history. Um, I knew that Rob had worked with Universal prior on Horror Nights. And then, yeah, so they pit he pitched them House of Those Corpses from this, and I'm pretty sure we're gonna get to it, but they didn't event they didn't initially pick it up. Like it was lost in limbo for a while. Like they had given him a hard time about it. And they later came around, right? Because they he ends up striking a deal with Universal. So they, obviously in the end, they ended up coming around, but it stayed like I I if I remember correctly, there was a lot of back and forth because of obviously like this is very like grotesque content to most people and universal was worried that this isn't going to appeal to much of an audience and if it is it's a very niche audience and they're not gonna make their money back well the back and forth i can fully understand mainly because when he was pitching this it would he has been quoted stating like i was literally making it up out of the ass when i was pitching it to them their <laughs> first initial pitch and that makes total sense from this script this script just feels like I get it. This is your first one. And Rob, all tea, all shade, I suppose, is way more concerned with the style than anything else going on in his movies. <laughs> and yeah. it, it totally feels like I want to do all these crazy and cool things. How can I do that? And just like mesh my love of all things together. He was mm -hmm. trying to pull like a Quentin Tarantino without fully kind of understanding how to write a script. Does that yeah. make sense without being too shady? It's definitely shady, but it makes <laughs> perfect sense. That's exactly what it is. Like you called it out. It is what it is. He had a lot of inspiration. He knew uh -huh. where he knew where his inspirations were coming from. He knew what he wanted and he just and he threw it to, together the best that he could and he tried mm -hmm. to like 
meld it all together to try and make it make sense. And for the most part, I guess that makes sense. But there are some scenes that just like kind of stick girl. out as there are some uh, scenes that stick out as like, purely referential. Like, oh, I love this scene from Texas Chainsaw, so I'm gonna recreate it. If yes, all tea, all shade, like full blown. Here it is, right in front of you. I agree, but I can see why. I see because I mentioned it earlier about where horror was at this time. This is 1999. We are still freshly hot off of screen. If it's not about teen meta hot slashers, nobody wants to put their money on it. Nobody mm -hmm. wants to touch it. So of course this was going to be a difficult pitch, and this is a difficult pitch. This is extreme. This could is an extremely difficult pitch here. Yeah. Like, so I can understand. I can fully understand. I can't understand what they do later on in production. So moving on to production, within two months they began shooting. Production would begin in May of 2000 and be finished by Halloween of 2000. This timeline is important, so keep it in mind. Two weeks of filming were spent on the Universal Studios Hollywood backlot. The house featured would be the same house used in the best little whorehouse in Texas from 1982. It is a famous stop on the Universal tram tour, or at least it used to be. I don't even know if they make a stop by there anymore. I feel like they just like drive by. Oh yeah, it's definitely like, a, oh, there it goes by. <laughs> Dolly Parton was there once. <laughs> Uh, this would be a pain in the ass for filming as the tram and the theme park were still in operation while they were shooting the movie. That's gonna be horrible. Horrible. That is so fucked up because actually they don't close down the tram, right? You still drive by and they just make you like be quiet. quiet. But yeah, they still do drive bys with the tram. That's shitty, but it is what it is. Life's not fair. It is what it is, but you also know on film sets that a majority of the time you're spent waiting, setting something up, doing this, making oh, sure yeah. this is correct. And then having to wait for snot-nosed tourists to just fucking drive by would kill me. It would kill me. But <laughs> I would totally be that makeup artist that'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe we're doing this. Turn, they're taking pictures of the house. I'm in front of the house. Hello, it is I. Oh, me, I just work here. <laughs> other scenes were spent on a ranch in Valencia, California with other cutaways such as Baby making out with a hot dog. What did he say? Hey. I mean, skeleton were filmed in zombies basement after initial <laughs> filming for the project had finished. And it shows all these weird cutaways because they shoot baby firefly, they shoot Otis. I think it's just them too. And doing like, well, didn't, this is also where they filmed some of the, like the fake commercials for like Spalding mm -hmm. and uh, all those other inserts. A lot of the inserts were post because mm. of unfortunate circumstances with distribution <laughs> <laughs> to say the least even though the film was completed in 2000 we wouldn't receive the movie until 2003 although the house the film was based off of was launched at halloween horror nights it was just changed to american nightmare all due to the film being shelved Universal Studios would back out, according to Zombie, after a terrible test screening. Then chairperson Stacy Snyder feared the film would be deemed too extreme and be rated NC-17, which is a kiss of death in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So stating, quote, A celebration of depravity, and they could not be a part of that. I don't know why I picture her as like British, even though it's Universal. <laughs> <laughs> There's no other way around it. This blows. That has got to suck. That's got to be a huge, like, I wouldn't say blow to your ego, but like blow to your work and just like, like a, what? 
What? Like you just spent all that time, all that shooting, all the drugs. There was a lot of work that went into that movie. So for it to just be like, "Mm, we don't like what you did. We're going to shelve it. Even though you know, you knew what I was making. That's Were you not watching the dailies? Did you not read the script? What was going on here? Not only that, we've talked about the dreaded test screening. Ah! <laughs> Anytime we've yeah. talked about a test screening, this doesn't work out for anybody. Never. It never works out. I so real quick tangent when Rob Zombie when they brought uh, Rob Zombie back to Horror Nights, I forgot what year it was, and they brought back House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, this shady fucker, and I don't blame him walked to the red carpet on opening night and i remember uh listening to an interview he had with somebody and said he was reminiscing on this right here saying how originally universal didn't want to distribute it and had shelved the move originally and he's just thought it was funny how they've now come full circle and he's premiering you know house of a thousand corpses back again at horror nights with like full they want to fully embrace the film now oh honey oh Oh, honey. <laughs> How dare you? How dare mm-hmm. you? You kicked mm-hmm. my ass out and then you want to welcome me back in with open arms. Oh, honey. No, ma'am. That's big thanks to John Murdy, the creative director of Horror Nights, which I'm sure had nothing, well, obviously it had nothing to do with this production hell that went on uh, during the actual production of the film. So kudos to John Murdy for bringing, like, you know, mending that relationship with Rob Zombie. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that, absolutely. But I mean, who got the last laugh? It's still Rob Zombie's. I think oh, yeah. it's still under his IP and control, correct? So he absolutely. obviously had to license that out because what would happen, the film would be remained shelled for many months. This would be until Zombie eventually purchasing the rights for himself from Universal. And this, I cannot stress, is beyond abnormal. It is very... It is so uncommon, especially nowadays, for a director and a writer to still obtain the rights to that piece of art, because that never happens. Once you get with a production house, that's theirs now, honey. You do get Mm -hmm. money from it, but they own that IP. I'm surprised Universal let them take it, because it's not unlike Universal to just shelf things forever. They're like, no, it's our property now. We're just going to let it sit on the bookshelf. No, it looks pretty on my shelf. No. (laughs) It is pretty uncommon and kudos to him for fighting for his content and moving on with it. Because from there, he would be in talks with MGM to release the film. MGM wanting to release in October 2002, but they too would refuse to release the film. This was apparently due to Zombie claiming that the company had no morals for releasing the film. Call the police. We need to call the police. Okay, I I have to state I couldn't find the exact quote on that, but I found this said multiple times, but I can't find the source. I just like, I just like the drama. That's it. I just like the drama. (laughs) Of course you do. News anchor. (laughs) With nowhere to go, at one point, Zombie debated releasing the film himself until Lionsgate Entertainment would swoop in and sign on for the project. Together, Lionsgate and Zombie would cut and edit the film to achieve an R rating. I think it's. I think it was a match made in heaven because he still got his way. And Lionsgate now is pretty big, but I don't believe it was fairly the juggernaut that it is no. now. No, definitely but it's not. Still one now. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it is still, but at the time, I I doubt. I highly doubt that it was like a big production house that that 
it grew to be. The last bit of information, which isn't very surprising at all, is that the score for the film was co-composed by Zombie alongside Canadian producer Scott Humphrey. Yeah, the, uh, that makes total sense that Rob Zombie would want control over like what's going on in his movie. But I guess all shade, this is just a really long Rob Zombie music video. <laughs> <laughs> it is, I agree wholeheartedly and I recognize that. I. I'm gonna really quick preface this before we get into the breakdown because I'm gonna read this movie to filth for Woo! all the plot holes and all the things that are wrong with it. And I know I said I enjoy this film and I do enjoy this film, but I take it at face value for what it is. I know what it is, I know what it's presenting and I know it's not by any means to be taken 100% seriously. And it should. Or that it's, or that it's like Academy Award worthy. This is, in my opinion, like, a mashup of horror and like exploitation films mm -hmm. and it's kind of like like we've said before like a, a love note to like 70s horror and, and exploitation films so we'll get into it and before we can begin this descent into privity and murderous tendencies let's go to commercial so we can get paid Woo! we'll be right back after these messages And now, our feature presentation. We open with Captain Spaulding's Museum of Monsters and Mad Men, a one-stop shop for serial killers, madmen, gas, and of course, fried chicken. Captain mm. Spaulding, the proprietor of said shop, is working his normal shift when two men barge in to rob him. After a quick back and forth littered with obscenities, the robber demands Captain hand over all of his money. This starts a standoff. Oh, God. One, f your mama. Two, f your sister. Three, f your grandma. They are quickly found out, and a man in a huge cartoon head comes barging in through the front door, wielding an axe, and chops the robber right in the neck, allowing for Spalding to shoot the other. Most of all, f you. We cut to our opening credits. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Okay. He wants to be mm. Pulp Fiction so bad. This is quite the opening. It's not like gag worthy, but it is a little uh, shocking. Like you didn't know where it was going to go. In my honest opinion, when I first seen this, I didn't know where it was going to go. It was weird. They have this very almost Tarantino-like dialogue. Yeah. Um, and it's just great. And I love Captain Spaulding's makeup. I love Captain Spaulding as a character overall. I love his shop of serial killers and madmen, this museum. I, I love all of it. I love this scene. I think it's a pretty decent opening in my opinion. I would definitely say it's a very good opening because it definitely gives you a full sense of what you're in for. Because yeah. Captain Spaulding is speaking to, I don't know who he is. A local? <laughs> a local? I'm very honored to be in the presence of so many locals. And they're talking about, they're using horrible words. Mm -hmm. just, we're, mm -hmm. I have, I guess, forewarning, if you did yes. not know Rob Zombie's dialogue, I apologize. I apologize to your sister, to your mom, to your grandma, but most of all, <laughs> you. Because his writing is ridiculous. They're, they're using the R word and describing another citizen within the town and describing how he's a purver and how he likes to jack off. This is the first two minutes of the movie. Like I could, like, I was not ready. I thought Serial Mom, which by the way, go check out, was wild with that dialogue. <laughs> this, 
this tops it for sure. This is the wildest dialogue we've ever had to talk about on this on this podcast. Because it, it only gets worse from there because the said citizen goes to use the shitter. And when Captain Spaulding is left alone, that's when the two robbers barge in and they're trying to rob him. And Spaulding is not thrown off in the least bit. He's not scared of these guys at all. And uh, from there, the other man goes to go get uh, the other guy, the local, out of the restroom. And when he does, the old man recognizes him. And he's like, hey, aren't you that little? And I think he calls him the R word or something along the lines of, he insinuates him to be- Little Dick uh, Nick. (laughs) Is that what he called him? (laughs) Yeah, I believe so. And he recites this like mean schoolyard rhyme. Little Dick Wick. My bad. And so he recites this horrible rhyme that the kids used to tease him with, and the guy starts to flip out. And that's that's when everything goes haywire. And immediately out the gate, we get his sense of direction, dialogue, setting, most of all, editing and shooting style. Because mm-hmm. we get weird edit cuts of like double, it feels like as if like you were at a film and they accidentally cut two strips together. So it really cuts the same scene. It works. It's just for me, it's only done sporadically enough that it just kind of doesn't make sense, but it does keep in beat with the music. This is set like a music video, like straight up out the gate. And that's okay. We've seen music video directors go on to do things that we both enjoy. Uh Uh-huh. Looking at you, David Fincher. This is, oh yeah, this is a great start. I will state that. I really love the beginning of this. Captain Spaulding, fantastic. I think Mm -hmm. he's a fantastic character. My only complaint with Captain Spaulding is later on when he does like bouts of like terrorizing people, there's no like zero to 100. It's just always at 100. So like I never, like when I'm supposed to be scared, I'm like, then there's no energy change for me to indicate that I'm supposed to be scared. Got it. Other, like, he does, I, one, it makes total sense. But two, I think he tries to do this thing where at first he's smiling and then it kind of turns into a grimace and then a scowl. And then that's supposed to be his, like, whatever, his turn of mood. But I agree. Like, whether he's happy or whether he's angry, it's always at 100. It's always at 100. He reminds me of, like, Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Of course Jack Nicholson's crazy, because just, like, look at him. (laughs) (laughs) Jack Nicholson. Here's Johnny. There's, like, no, like, character depth. You're just, like, always crazy. But it's fine. Like, I get it. Captain Spaulding is fantastic. We cut to our opening credits, and I just want to, like, we don't have to dive in on opening credits, but just really quickly, this kind of also set the tone for the movie because it's just, like, cuts of, like, grindhouse movies and scenes and smut. Vintage and, porn. Yeah. And, like, it's weird, and it's set to uh, House for Those Purposes by Rob Zombie. Selling you a song, selling you a movie, selling you a t-shirt. Let's go. Hey, he's got to use his own music. We are now with our protagonists, two couples that are making their way across country, hitting offbeat roadside attractions. They are Jerry Goldsmith and Denise Williams as one couple, and Mary Knowles and Bill Hudley as another couple. Of course, they end up at Captain Spaulding's just as they're cleaning up the mess made from the opening kills. The boys continue inside and check out what the museum has to offer and become acquainted with, with, with the cat. Bill starts an interview with Spaulding when he asks, why are you asking all these jackassy questions? <laughs> Wilson, then we first up, that is retail life to like a T. Like, <laughs> if I could respond to somebody that way, I would be so happy. So, what do you mean you want something? Get the hell out of the store. 
get away from me. <laughs> Bill then begins to stumble through his explanation to which Spalding responds with a yell that frightens the boys, but he's just playing, right? The girls finally meet up and meet up with the boys inside and it's finally time to start. The murder ride. Murder house. So I love this whole setting of they stopped for gas and it turned out to be a a like roadside attraction. And it's Captain Spaulding's Museum of Monsters and Mad Men. And just the like, what is that? Like a gift shop slash convenience store area is cool in itself. It's adorable. It looks like some like vintage and oddities museum. And then from there, they even have a cool dark ride that they get to. The, the tricks and turns that this place has is ridiculous. So uh, how do you feel about our protagonists? I want to know. I don't care for them. And they give no development. Like there's no, there's no development pre like pre event. Crazy. Like, yeah. So we don't care for them. So later on in the movie, when shit starts to go down, eh, I don't really care. It's kind of, we're just watching grotesque shit happen to people like it's not the vibe stop you're absolutely correct because i the only way i could tell the two women apart was one was taller and then the other one was a bitch and like these (laughs) these characters are i it makes sense to me why the devil's rejects quickly refocused its attention on the antagonist in this movie. But I don't I don't consider them antagonists in this movie and I really don't consider these protagonists protagonists. They are just devices and bodies with names and that is it. And one of them is in the office. And that's all <laughs> that, 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 that. <laughs> because I cannot stand Jerry as a character. I don't know if it's Chris Hardwick doing his job or if it's just Chris Hardwick or if it's the character because he reminds me of like every frat guy that never shuts up about being in a frat even though he graduated college like seven years ago. (laughs) No one cares about your frat days, Jerry. Is that true? It's very true. I get it. I agree. He's kind of insufferable, and I don't know how he has a girlfriend. Um, See, it's just, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that these protagonists, like I said, aren't protagonists, and that's why you don't feel anything for them. They're mm-hmm. just like there to introduce us to the main plot characters, and these plot characters are <laughs> wild. Yes, they are. The murder ride. This manually pushed dark ride is everything. And in our opinion, the highlight of this movie. It is narrated live by Captain himself. Delve into darkness as you're pushed through vignettes of famous American serial killers like Ed Gein and S. Quentin Quayle, also known as Dr. Satan. (laughs) No, you gotta say it like, uh, like Jerry. Dr. Satan! Dr. Satan! (laughs) So this, like, Dark ride is so cool. It's so cool. It's pushed by some henchman who works at the gas station. And it's essentially like a Disney dark ride, but with serial killers. Hi, it's fucking Mickey. It's very sick. I love it. I love the way it's shot. He does a lot of kaleidoscope stuff during this scene. It reminds mm-hmm, me of mm-hmm. um Willy Wonka. Enough, exactly, but not as scary. The Willy Wonka <laughs> scene is so scary. <laughs> 
<laughs> the Willy Wonka scene is horrifying. That scene still scares me. But we don't know which way we're going. Augusto's sweetheart saves our room for later. R.I.P. Gene Wilder. Uh, this ride is wonderful, and it is a complete highlight of Rob Zombie's, like, want to see things on screen, their their direction and things like that, because this is where he shines. This is where it's beautiful. This is where the crazy angles and the editing and the colors come into play. And it's great. End sentence, because after this scene, sometimes <laughs> it just feels so overwhelming. Yeah, it definitely, it, it gets to a point where it's just like, oh, we're going to have like overexposure again. Oh, we're going to intercut with baby Firefly or Otis. So we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> After the ride, Mary heads out to the phone booth to update her dad on the road trip. She explains that they're making their way back home. The scene is intercut with news footage about five missing cheerleaders from Ruggsville High. Before leaving the gas station, Jerry is begging for directions to Dr. Satan's tree or some shit. Spalding gives him some hand-drawn map and complimentary fried chicken. On their way to this mysterious tree, they pick up a hitchhiker. She says the tree they're looking for is right by her house. Halfway to her house, some man in the woods shoots out their tire and the mysterious woman says that their brother has a tow truck and can help them out. Only Bill makes the trek back to the house with the woman while the others wait in the car. Okay, so things to talk about. So I forgot to mention the aesthetic and the setting of the 1970s. Th this whole movie is, we talked about an exploitation, but it's, it's stunning. I love I love the costumes. I think the costumes are so rad, even though mm -hmm. it totally looks like they just raided Rob Zombie's closet. And you're like, <laughs> have at it. Yeah. Have what you will. Let's talk about the intercuts because there's a lot of them and I don't want to mention every single one. No, but we're these, not mentioning all of them. These intercuts, I guess I have two things to say. Clap if you care. I One, I didn't, I had no idea that these intercuts were going to happen. So it's very jarring when it happens the first time. And mm -hmm. it's, does it add anything for you in terms of development within the story? No, not okay. Enough. There, uh, aside from like this intercut, which made sense about the cheerleaders. Yes, yes, so yes, yes. The this intercut is like a essentially like a news uh, station reporting on these five missing cheerleaders from the local high school. This is the only intercut that makes sense because all the intercuts later are literally. Baby Firefly or Otis Firefly just standing in front of a camera saying random shit or wielding a knife or laughing or saying something about Satan. It reminds me of like, do you remember those singles VHS tapes of like... Welcome to Sexy Singles. This is tape three, four, nine. Hi, I'm Baby Firefly. I like long walks on the beach, fried chicken, and killing you. <laughs> okay. Baby Firefly. Hi, Sherry Moon Zombie. Hello. Hi. If you are ever listening to this podcast, hello. Um, choices. <laughs> the, the laugh. The, the laugh. laugh and the tone. And it's just, it's just, it's, it's, what is it? What is it? I don't understand. I, she I was going understand. for like this pinupy, like boop boop bitty, like a Betty Boop kind of inspired woman, I guess. But obviously, she doesn't have the budget for that, so she goes for the she goes for the voice and every and the attitude, but the costume and the wardrobe and the hair don't match it. 
I don't know. I don't even know if it's that. I can't tell where it's coming from. It's a choice. It's a lot. It's a lot. And she stays there. I think that's where I have trouble with it, is that she just stays there. It wasn't a build-up. Like, everything in this movie, there was no build-up to it. It was just at 100 the whole time. There was nowhere to go. You hit the glass ceiling. You did hit the glass ceiling. But I don't want that to take away from, like, everything else in this movie, because there are things that I really like. Who's the guy who shoots things? Is that the hot buff guy? Yeah, he's the muscle. He looks like the jazz, the saxophone player from Lost Boys, like other cousin. No, yeah, he, he does. does. Oh, okay, May- okay like maybe cousin. a cousin. <laughs> Fine, sure. Don't you dare compare that grease titty <gasps> man to this specimen. Don't you dare. He's a wonderful, magnificent man. man. <laughs> Moving on. We cut to the Firefly House, AKA the house from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Inside, Otis is lecturing to some cheerleader hostesses. Hostesses. Hostages. Hostesses. Hi, welcome to Applebee's. <laughs> what can I get for you? <laughs> Hi, welcome to Chili's. Inside, Otis is lecturing to some cheerleader hostages. Big difference. Baby Firefly and Bill make it to the house and baby quickly sends quote unquote, her brother to go and get the others. While they wait, they make themselves comfortable where baby struts around with her ass crack out and coming on to essentially Rain Wilson. <laughs> essentially. <laughs> yeah, this happens. This, it's quite uncomfortable. So they make their way to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre house. And then she's like, oh, the door's <laughs> locked. I'm going to go around. So she makes her way around. By the way, it's pouring buckets of rain. It has Pour- to. So- Rain, just so much rain. Rain, Wilson, rain, rain again. Whatever, they finally make their way in the house. She gets comfortable and struts around in like literally, literally their children's pajamas. Cause they don't go up any higher and her ass is all hanging out short, whatever, pop off. It was a look, go off. But like, like I, this is no shade. This is not to body shame anyone or to fool any of that way. I think that Sherry Moon Zombie has every right to go out there and show whatever the hell she wants. But this is her MO. She, Hello Halloween, <laughs> added her as Michael Myers' mom and she became a stripper. <sighs> why not? Like, I'm for it. Go off, sis. I guess, but I guess that's why I just have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with nudity or anybody showing their body. It's just if it makes sense to the storyline. And for me, yeah. it doesn't make sense to the storyline because this flirtation doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't. It's fruitless. Like, he was not interested, girl. But I digress. It is what it is. It's more TNA for the film, I guess. It's mainly just progression to move things along and introduce us to the other characters. Because the this chunk of the movie, which is like the next like 20 minutes, I would say, is Rob literally following the formula. The very specific formula. And that's okay. That's fine because he tries to do new things later on kind of not really but mm-hmm. I, that's all i have to say for it is that this movie if you take out all the bells and whistles of the editing and the lighting and honestly it's not even that gory like at all it's not it's a it, it is a movie that is everyone has seen from the 70s except that the focus it's texas is a little chainsaw more, massacre it is it's texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> with a little more focus on the family that he uh-huh. develops devil's rejects uh-huh yeah which was it's a real, real quick tangent yeah the devil's rejects was like what he wanted house of a thousand corpses to be and he finally like kind of honed in a more yeah. the script and the story 
And then he lost it on three from hell, and that's all I'm gonna freaking say. Still haven't Don't. seen it. I own it. Well, I just bought the steel book that has all three, so I have to watch it now. Don't. I'm coming over. I'm, I'm <laughs> taking it out, tossing it out. Uh, the others finally arrive, and they all sit around and wait for their tire to be fixed. As they sit around and wait, another character is introduced, Mama Firefly, and they yes. all sit around. <laughs> And they all sit around and have some very strange dialogue where they essentially say they're going to be stuck there for a few hours while the car is being fixed. They are then invited to the family's annual Halloween dinner. Oh, we forgot to mention. This is all on Halloween, which is why we're doing it. We're, <laughs> we're doing so good season two, everybody. Um, I, Mama Firefly, for me, for me personally, is the MVP of this movie because she knows exactly what movie mm -hmm. she's in. Uh -huh. She is uh -huh. a terrific character actress. I love her accent. I love the full wardrobe. It is essentially... um Yes, say it. I know where you're going. From, uh, are you talking about Murder House? Are you talking about Jessica Lange? Because that's what oh. I'm getting. <laughs> it's like Jessica Lange meets... um You'll... You, uh, you look like the 4th of July. Jennifer Coolidge. Yes. <laughs> it's like a meshing of Jessica Lange and Jennifer Coolidge. And it is terrific to me. Hi. Delicious is. campiness. And it is, mm -hmm. this This is what I wish we, we did more because there's parts of this movie where he really wants it to be serious. And he has talked about where it kind of like eventually turned to camp, which wasn't the original intention. I just want I just want to like lean my ear in a little more on the camp because Mama yeah. Firefly is the T. So is the grandpa. Grandpa is quiet. Oh my God. The grandpa is wild. I agree. I love Mama Firefly. I agree wholeheartedly. She, yes, RIP. She's campy. She knows what kind of movies she's in. She knows her character. She knows she, she's the matriarch of the uh -huh. Firefly family. And quite honestly, her character only gets better in the sequel, which we might cover just because I love the sequel as well. I do love the sequel. Yes, I agree. I love Mama Firefly. Not to mention, she could get it. I don't care what, she's got the attitude, the confidence, and the body <laughs> to get it. Okay. Periods. <laughs> But not the makeup skills. Oh, but you want to really fight. <laughs> you want to talk about the Evangeline eyeshadow? <laughs> Are you talking about the eyes of Tammy Faye Baker? <gasps> oh, is it my turn? Yeah. Oh. oh, brother, this guy stinks! At the dinner table, we are introduced to more family members. Tiny, who is definitely not tiny second runner-up for MVP for me, and Grandpa Firefly, who can only be described as a perverted foul-mouthed version of the Grandpa from the Monsters, which mm. I guess we're gonna get coming up from Rob Zombie. No, anyway. we better not get a perverted foul-mouthed version of the Grandpa. I'm worried. I know that he's aware of what he's playing with, but we'll see. So this dinner table scene, this is my fire hazard. How many candles are on this dinner table? Excuse me. No, ma'am. And also, I would have left already. I would not have stayed for dinner. The minute that Mama Firefly was done giving her monologue, her Jessica Lang monologue, <laughs> I would have been gone. I would have been Scooby-Doo gang. <laughs> oh, 
out. It's a 70s like love letter, Jackie. It's they can't the leave. 70s, they have Jackie. to stay. It's just, everybody was good for a good time. They wanted to stay and see what dinner was all about. What's for dinner? Love. No. <laughs> love no, yourself. No. Accept yourself. <laughs> Baby gets ready in her room with a dead cheerleader and a bound and gag one whom she berates. This insert, there's inserts that are inserts for why. Because we don't come, the only reason why I say why is because we don't come back to it. I just, no, like, yeah, it's just for no reason. I wanna come back to them. Like, but, you introduce a plot line for me that never gets to go. It's like a Ryan Murphy like, <laughs> season. <laughs> it's like a Ryan Murphy blue ball case. <laughs> but I love, I love, even though it makes no sense and it doesn't, it adds nothing to the movie essentially. I love this scene. I love this sound bite. Rob Zombie actually uses it in one of the songs. And I just, I have to say it because I have to live my baby firefly fantasy. I thought you kids were all about team spirit. I mean, you ain't done fuck all but cheer me up since y'all got here. Give me a B. Give me an A. Give me a B. Give me a Y. What's that spell? What's that spell? What's that spell? It's so good. And the poor cheerleader is just like dying over there. I'm sure she's dying because baby keeps screaming at her in that wretched voice of hers. See, I didn't get that from that cheerleader. That cheerleader looked like the employee that's been on her shift too long. I was supposed to clock out two hours ago. Michael was supposed to take over my shift. And no, I don't know what's B-A-B-Y spells. I don't know, man. <laughs> just please pay for Carl's Jr. and leave. <laughs> and the- I will, like, yes, baby, she, this is where I have my problems with Cherry Moon Zombie. If you're at this, if you're at this level all the time, these moments don't feel as, like, bountiful. They yeah. don't feel as, like, successful. When you can reach me there is when it's better. That's for they, me now. Yeah, I agree. And, but the, I feel like this was all a first time shoot for them. And yeah. so, or at least this was like their first like big production. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them didn't know what they were really getting themselves into. I feel like they just knew that they were working with Rob Zombie, who was already well known. They know he's got like shock value. So I think they just wanted to make sure they delivered 110% every time, not realizing they weren't giving their characters peaks and valleys, darling. I think you're, you hit the nail on the head. And that's, I guess that's my own. I'm gonna stop poking the holes in the acting for that because this would set up Devil's Rejects. And I think it deserves its credit because where it works is wonderful. Because mm-hmm. from here we move back to the dinner table and we have an awkward meal with the, the sickest paper mache masks on. And I want mm-hmm. mama I want mama firefly so bad. Ooh, maybe I should dress up as her for Halloween. Anyway, Otis makes a guest appearance at dinner with little wolf a pickled baby in a jar and he tells the eager kids that they should leave with kitty cats in there wait how does he say that y'all should leave with the little kitty cats there in your heads <laughs> rather than ask questions about dr satan from dinner we go to showtime it, all i can think of is beetlejuice it's showtime see i immediately went to musical theater kids and everyone's like thank you five Thank you. <laughs> oh, I hate when they say that. Thank you, Thank five. Thank you, five. So Otis welcomes himself to the table. And like, this is what I mean by like, things are introduced and then they're left. Like, what was the jar? I didn't even get to get a full look at the jar. I want to see the pickle baby. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, like, I, I, like 
it's just meant for shock value. I feel like, like, ooh, yeah. we gotta pick a baby in a jar. <laughs> At Showtime, Grandpa has a stand-up comedy set that only the family and Jerry enjoy. <laughs> From there, we move to Baby Firefly's lip sync to "I Wanna Be Loved by You, Just You, and Nobody Else but You." you. Wow. That's it. That's all we can afford. We're going to get ripped. She makes her way off stage and sits on Bill's lap, to which Mary responds by pushing her off and calling her a slut and a whore. Baby then threatens to cut her tits off and shove them down her throat. Hold on. You got to do that better. I'll cut your tits off and shove them down your throat, bitch. (laughs) So this is another scene that I like. There's a lot of vignettes that I love, and it's probably because they feel music video already. Mm -hmm. Like this scene, I love love the scene. I love how it's set up. I love the audience. I love the direction. I love the design. Even Baby Firefly's performance to, is it Betty Boop's I Want to Be Loved by You? Or Shirley Temple's, someone's like that. Oh, it could be Shirley Temple. I think they used it in a Betty Boop cartoon though. I don't know. I don't know the logistics of it. This ultimate homage to like old school horror and 1970s horror all together with Rob Zombie's aesthetic because Grandpa's stand-up rivals the best of the comedians is all I'm going to say. Because he kept talking about sucking on her and biting oh on, her, God. on her and then Ooh. he talked about her and great. But like is it, I, I love it. This feels like American Horror Story Freak Show, but better. Yeah. <laughs> Shade. But yeah, uh, it, it was it was quite the spectacle. It was quite the spectacle. And they know how to have a party. They do know how to party. But not, not everybody's down to party. Mary, I cannot stand Mary as a character because she has no personality whatsoever. And then all she does is just call Baby a slut and a whore when she is performing. How dare you? This is a character. This is an act. I am performing. Ah! I'm acting. Don't you interrupt me. I would have threatened to cut her tits off too. <laughs> <laughs> she even pulls out a little pocket knife too. It's it's so great. We've talked about the characters and the protagonist not really being the protagonist. And this is where the switch is at. The minute we go to the home, I no longer even want to like care about the protagonist at all. Mm-hmm. I'm fully focused on the Firefly family because they know how to put on a show and they know how to party. And they like Halloween. They take it seriously. They take it seriously. It is an art form. Before a fight can break out, RJ announces that their car is ready and that the eager teens make their way out. As they drive away, they realize the gates are closed. When Bill gets out to open them, he is attacked by scarecrows that are actually Otis and Tiny in disguise. They subdue the men and the girls are dragged from the car. This is where the turn is at. And Mm -hmm. this is just my own personal opinion, I suppose. All of this is my personal opinion, dumbass. (laughs) This is probably where your crazy edits probably would have been like super effective because this is where we turn and things start getting crazy. Don't f- with me on scarecrows. I am terrified of scarecrows. I don't think <laughs> I ever mentioned that to you. I don't f- with scarecrows. No, man. No. But the turn doesn't really. It, I like the turn. The turn is good. I wanted more like action packed sequences because we get hyped up and then we. You wanted more like running and actually trying to get away. You wanted there to be more of a fight because there really wasn't a yeah. fight. Like, yeah, they went down fast. Yeah, Bye. Bill Bill gets out to go try and open the gate from which one of the scarecrows jumps out, who, who it's actually proves to be uh, Otis, subdues Bill and then Jerry gets out and they don't even show how Otis subdues Jerry. 
And then from that point, Tiny comes around and he doesn't even try to attack the girls, but they're just terrified of him because Tiny's terrifying. And then this is where Otis comes up and he starts like, you know, breaking the windows on the car and yeah. just attacking them. So there wasn't it's much intense. of a fight. It was, it's intense, but there was no like, the girls just sat there and screamed. They didn't try yeah. and run for their lives. They didn't try and fight them off. They kind of just essentially like, ah, passed out and you know, they were subdued. Because he wants to torture, he wants to torture them because then we start really focusing on the fire family after this. Then mm -hmm. we really start like, I guess, understanding their dynamics, even though their dynamics are just Texas Chainsaw. The next day, Mary's father calls the sheriff, explaining that his daughter has not yet returned and gives him a rundown of where she called from. We cut to Otis berating one of the girls, saying he is trying to do work, among other things. He removes her gag and asks her about her boyfriend, Bill. It is revealed to her that Bill is now Fishboy, Otis's sideshow creation. This is so, okay, really quickly. There's a quick intercut of Mary's father calling the authorities saying, my daughter's still not home. She stopped at Captain Spaulding's gas station. They are aware of Captain Spaulding and said gas station. They're like, cool, we're gonna go check it out. That was it. And then we cut back to the fire. There's a lot of editing in this movie, guys. So I'm sorry, there's gonna be a lot of, we cut to this and then we're back here and then we're back to this. Um, so yeah, we cut back to Otis berating um, Mary and reveals what they've done to Bill and they've turned him into the dopest, like hybrid fish boy sideshow attraction that you would see somewhere. As a kid, I really thought that this movie was gonna be super mega grotesque and just like hostile levels of blood and just sick ass gore. It just doesn't, that doesn't happen in this movie, which is very surprising to me. Not mm -hmm. saying that it's bad. Rain Wilson does get his arm chopped off and they tease him with a hand, but like that's about it on the gore level until we see Fishboy and then you are correct. That is the sick sideshow mm -hmm. I've ever seen. I think it's disgusting and amazing. Like, I want more of those deaths. But kind of like the Saw effect, when I used to think Saw was far more bloodier and grotesque than it actually is. I think, like, because these movies came out so long ago, you kind of, like, threw them up the deep end in your head to make them worse than they actually were. The reveal is amazing, though. This reveal is everything. This is the type of reveals dra Drag Race wishes they could do. Exactly. We are now back at the gas station where Spalding is being questioned by local authorities about the latest missing kids. Spalding tells them what he knows and only a way said Hag can do. All right, all right. Don't get all true grit on my ass. <laughs> Come on, Quentin Tarantino levels of referencing. Right, it's so good. I love it. The cops find the kid's car abandoned and destroyed in a field. In the trunk, they find one of the girls bound, naked, and dead with trick-or-treat carved into her skin. Oh, Jesus. Gross. Any excuse to see Spalding, I am here for it. Yes. He, became, he becomes a major player in Devil's Rejects. Anytime Spalding's on scene, I'm in for a good time. He's the only <laughs> clown I kind of like. Always. His delivery of the dialogue is so on point. We have another intercut back at the Firefly house where Baby is torturing Jerry by chopping his hair off and essentially scalping him in the process. I I think it's so funny. It's it, it, it it's just to do more gory stuff and have Cherry Moon Zombie and show a sick-ass poster of the creature of the Black Lagoon. That's so dope. This is the queerest torture Yay. I've ever seen. Who's my favorite actress? Marilyn Monroe. No. 
Betty Davis. <laughs> <laughs> she's just chopping, hacking into his hair, and then I like when he's like begging her, so she's like, "Stop! I might slip and cut you." <laughs> it's what a queer response. If there was a queer in that chair, uh, it's easily Betty Davis. It's 1970s. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> By now, the police have arrived, have made their way to the Firefly household. While Lieutenant Wydell questions Mama Firefly and the other officer and the father of the now missing Mary make their way around back, they discover a shed full of bound and killed cheerleaders. <gasps> and his missing daughter, Mary, who is still alive. <gasps> when the officer radios Lieutenant Wydell inside, Mama pulls out a gun and shoots him in the neck. At that very same moment in the yard, Otis shoots the father and kills the other officer. It all goes down during this kind of like sick ass slow motion scene. It's really well done. I think this is my favorite sequence in the whole movie because the anticipation is so well deserved. Because you, like I said, we switched protagonists. I can't, I now care about the Firefly family. Mm -hmm. So when the police get here and start questioning Mama Firefly, she a she immediately alerts the fam like a real one. She's like, "Hello, five zero outside. We got to get ready." And she arms herself and she pulls her seduction techniques. And then when he's not looking, pops a cap in his neck, like n without even thinking. She is a ride or die. And this is why I love Mama Firefly. But this whole sequence is, you're right. The slow-mo works really well in this sequence. The cuts work really well mm -hmm. in this sequence. The music, hello, thank you, Rob, is really well done in this sequence. And I think it's cause it's deserved. The reveal is cool. All those other pieces are neat. And I think this is like evidence that there's there's quality work here. It's just there, kind of lost sometimes. It is. It's unfortunate because there's like really good like cinematic scenes in yeah. this movie and these and great vignettes that like I could see that Rob Zombie had in his head and these ideas. Unfortunately, like he just like intercut it with all these weird shoots that were done in post that kind of it doesn't throw you off. It's just like what's going on here what is what are these edits i would say it throws you off because it kind of diverts from like your original intention like sometimes to me the cuts kind of felt like like you he was hesitant of the work that he had like oh i don't think this is enough it needs to be more so let me put more in there and sometimes more is more is more is more i mm. get that but this is like, you didn't need that. Cause this stuff, this right here, girl, this Miss yeah. Zombie, Mr. Zombie, all the zombies and the fam is amazing. This is some thriller quality, Michael Jackson, top notch shit. Yes. <laughs> we cut to the best named liquor store on the planet. Red Hot Pussy Liquors. It sounds like a band name. We are Red Hot Pussy Liquors. One, two, three, four. <laughs> yes, that'd be a dope ass band name. Red Hot Pussy Liquors is the local convenience store where Baby is stocking up on booze because why not? It's also conveniently called Holy Water. I This aesthetic looks like a Beetlejuice liquor store. Yeah, it totally does. It reminds me of, it was like a strip club or something, right? But yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's beautiful. I can see why this makes such an excellent haunted house. Cause look at that thing. Look at it. Yeah, they're, they're, this whole movie just like lent itself so beautifully to becoming a haunt. And mm -hmm. I can tell you from personal experience that first year we had it, I I fell. I fell. <laughs> so. Wait, wait, hold on. 
Oz, what? <laughs> it was a very well done house, and like you made, you made the the facade was kept in Spaldings. You made your way through the 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 murder ride, whatever, and then at the it just got progressively more aggressive. And then I remember specifically at the end. Spoiler alert! At the end of the movie, when you're when the when Mary is running through the catacombs with all the dead bodies mm-hmm. all on the side, Doctor Satan. That was the ending of the maze. I remember we were going through the catacombs, and in addition to the dead bodies, they all had lining the walls. They also had like just like shit that you had to move out of your way in order to like get through the maze. And so I remember we we're making our way through the maze, and I wasn't expecting characters to come from the top. And so literally two came from the top at the same time. And I, I couldn't go forward because they were kind of like blocking my way because they had come <laughs> down. So I literally like dropped down to the floor and I had to like <laughs> scurry away. Military crawl out of there. <laughs> yeah, it was. I love it. It was a great maze. If you guys would like to see us go through a maze, please let me know because we're trying to set up maze events and trying to expand and do new things. If you would like to see us go through and see your reactions, because I would, I would pay money to see Ray's reaction. <laughs> People have paid money to see me, bitch. They follow behind me in the maze. Moving forward with the movie, press play. Picking up the liquor according to Baby. We like to get f***ed up and do some up shit that's my best baby that's the best i could do <laughs> it was pretty good we now we are now back at the firefly household there are ridiculous amount of edits to get to this point in the movie where the family is preparing for a ritual only three of the original four remain of the group and they're all dressed up in white rabbit suits because why not and they are bound and gagged and all tied up Otis makes his way downstairs wearing the face and torso of one of the girl's fathers. As she screams in horror, Otis berates them yet again, explaining why they shouldn't have been snooping around here where they shouldn't be. It's all true. The boogeyman is real. You found him. That is my favorite line in the movie. I'm not going to lie. That was solid. Solid. And a lot of it has to do with Bill Mosley's delivery. Bill Mosley's performance in this movie and in The Devil's Rejects. Especially... Especially Devil's Rejects. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, he's horrifying in the Devil's Rejects. We totally forgot to mention, and I have to mention it because I literally laughed out loud when I watched it. When Mary wakes up the first night and she wakes up and she's tied up and Tiny just comes in <laughs> with Agatha Crispy's cereal and just starts <laughs> munching away. And yeah, you want to go? Cool. Bye. Yeah, ties just, her and lets her go. And then she just keeps eating. And then when she gets caught, Otis just looks at Tiny and Otis and Tiny's just like, it's Agatha Crispie. Like, I, I'm eating. <laughs> <laughs> it's breakfast time. I love Tiny. Tiny and Mama Firefly, MVPs of this movie. <laughs> we cut to a ghostly procession of the family to what looks like a giant well or cavern of some sort. They are forced into a coffin at gunpoint and Denise manages to get away. Baby chases her down and stabs her to death. The scene is intercut with footage of Otis talking about how he likes to hunt humans because they all run like rabbits. Run, rabbit, run. Run, rabbit, run. You got to do it one more time. He does it in threes. Run, rabbit, run. (laughs) That is, I feel like that's the only reason why they dressed up as rabbits. So that way he could use that line. I feel like it was too. This death is so well-deserved. I want her to die so bad. So when baby gets gets her, get her, 
get her. You get her in that what looks like pet cemetery, straight up. Oh, well, yeah, the little... How do you feel? Because we're going into our finale. How do you feel about the finale moving forward? I feel like for heading to a finale, it's got to be like mecha finale. Like it's yeah, got to be gruesome. For this, this type of stuff. Dr. Satan better, like, he better bring it. Like it better be a gruesome freaking finale and shit better go down. Because at this point, everything's been at a hundred. So in yes. order for you yeah. to top what you've already been presenting, you have to go above and beyond. I was not expecting this finale because I knew nothing about this finale. The only parts that I can remember from what I watched was Spalding, some parts with Baby Doll, and Fish Boy. Those are the biggest parts that really stuck out for me when, when I was aware of this. For me, this is like a genre and tonal shift because for me, it, it goes from like killer family exploitation to like exploitation zombie slash supernatural. Yeah, it gets weird because well, we'll get to it. Like, so the other two survivors are then lowered into the cavern via a giant wooden coffin. Then a lantern and a tape player playing demonic chanting is lowered in. Soon after, creatures arise from the depths and rip the coffin open, but only take Jerry. <laughs> so that leaves... Mary. Mary, thank you. <laughs> Clap if you care. That leaves Mary. She gets out and is attacked by other cavern dwellers, but only for her clothes? I... Uh... Right, it, I'm gonna stop right there because it's this is like you said, this is where we kind of take a genre shift because up until this point, there was like no demonic chanting, there was no like zombies or cave rituals or anything along those lines. Yeah, uh, it's fine. Like, I don't want to state that, like, oh, I don't like it now because we switch genres, genre switch, play around all you want. What I just don't get is that, like, it was a swift shift, don't want to really explain it. It's not that I'm mad at it. It's just, to be honest, I think this is a little bit more interesting than your killer family ripoff. You know what I'm talking Your killer family, like... <laughs> Texas Chainsaw ripoff. Cut the cameras. Dead end. It's, 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 it's interesting because they take Jerry. She makes her way down a hallway full of corpses. And at the end of the hallway, she finds a dungeon of terror where Dr. Satan has been working on his patients. <laughs> She finds Jerry on the brink of death being experimented on and is quickly chased out by a huge menacing henchman. She is chased until the killer takes a swing at her only to miss and takes out a supporting beam within the caverns, causing it to come crashing down onto the both of them. Okay. Cause this happened, like this ending happens within like the last 10 minutes. Literally. Like, this, this, this literally the, happens so quickly. It's the quickest finale. So yeah, it happens real fast. She like, she meets these other cave dwellers. She makes it to like Dr. Satan's lair where his like patients are sitting around all zombified and like brain dead, just sitting around watching old horror movies. And then from there, she finds Jerry who's being worked on by Dr. Satan. And she's in shock. And she's kind of just standing there watching him with like his brain being exposed. From there, this like, not even joking, like eight foot henchman comes out from another door and chases her away. And then, yeah, like he takes her, he chases her down the hallway, takes out a supporting beam, crashes on the both of them. And then it's done. Like the finale, like you, we're revving, like we're, we're revving things really quickly when we've already been running at a thousand. Mm -hmm. So getting here and seeing Dr. Satan, and then honestly, I didn't know it was Dr. Satan. It had to be like explained to me because it's just shot, another shot. But not only that, it looks completely different from the Dr. Satan that they were portraying in the murder ride. 
and it's like, who, why is the, the the doctor from A Nightmare Before Christmas here? Like, why is he, <laughs> he does experimenting like on Jerry? It's, it's it just doesn't make sense. And like the killing of the vill the the henchman happened so fast. Yeah, like, this is where I feel like it's evident that money was shifted, and we did, and we had to forfeit our own money, and we were having difficulty getting things made because mm-hmm. that's where this ending feels like it was going. It's just it's kind of unsatisfactory to be honest because we get to this point when the firefight only takes out the cops and then we just kind of go like this and we just kind of yeah we just kind of like, go down you, you expected go it to keep going up and it kind of just like leveled out because it doesn't really heighten from there because from there we cut back to the family yet again we cut back to the fire family who continue with their halloween festivity festivities by lighting the corpse of one of, of denise on fire igniting a huge bonfire which that's it that's all that's all the scene was for they lit the body on fire and now they have a huge bonfire for halloween yay and then i have questions like why because it's halloween i get it i just i I eat candy and (laughs) i watch scary movies watch scary movies like you guys can do the bonfire but it's the one night a year that a girl could dress like a total slut and nobody not say anything exactly it's just like why do a bonfire you know so we end this movie with Mary coming to after the accident. She makes her way out of the rubble and she climbs out of the catacombs like a zombie and makes her way out to the roadside where she is picked up by none other than Captain Spaulding himself, slightly out of makeup. He explains <laughs> that there are a lot of people looking for her and that he's going to take her to a doctor. Just then, Otis rises from the back seat and menacing music plays. We cut to Mary in Dr. Satan's lair, strapped down and screaming, and cut to the title card. The end, it says, with a question mark? Question mark. So this was our big finale. This is our big finale. And I don't mind that it ends on a cliffhanger. Every exploitation horror movie deserves to end on a cliffhanger. And we get a very good sequel, uh, in my opinion. Okay. 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 This is the end of our music. Okay. This is the end of our music video. (laughs) How do you feel about this ending? How do you feel about this, this acid trip monster truck rally exploitation film? So in my opinion, for the aesthetic and for the shtick that Rob Zombie was going for this whole 70s exploitation horror film, I think the ending works in that realm and what yeah. he was referencing and what he was going for. For me personally, I don't really care for the ending. I'm not the biggest fan of like these open-ended um, endings. I'm also like the way he presented it. Like I understand the, because literally the way it's shot and the way it ends is totally like an exploitation movie. Like yeah, the way he absolutely. gets out from the back seat and it's totally that. So I just, it's not my favorite type of ending, but I will okay. agree with you on saying that it does leave an open ending for a very much stronger sequel. Yes, 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 yes. I just, we, t- we keep mentioning this movie is like on Adderall, on two tabs of acid with the four loco. <laughs> Not a four loco. At Six Flags, like fright fest. Fright fest. Like I, I understand that's what you were aiming to do, but in order to do it effectively, you need those peaks and valleys, like we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And I believe he understood that because that's what he really does in Devil's Rejects. So I just have to state that, like, 
I see what it's, I see what you're doing, and there are so many good aspects to it. I could see why though this was difficult to sell, and I don't see it in terms of like it being so hardcore and like raw and gritty because this is kind of tame. Am I the, like is that bad? No, to say? no. Because this, but this was also pre-hostile. So this is very yeah. You make a very excellent point, and that's probably where I'm coming from. So I don't want to take that away from the movie and understand that it was probably doing something pretty groundbreaking at the time. Mm -hmm. It's if we're looking back on it now, I see the quality and I think it's fun. I will say that it is fun. I would watch this with a bunch of friends if we're all drinking and we're having a good time. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm not going in with the intention of thinking that like, I don't know if I can watch this on my own. Does that make sense? Not to me because I do watch this on my own. <laughs> you know what? Let's move into like our final scores. For this week's movie, are you going to rent it? Are you going to return it? Or are you going to buy it? Buy it 100%. Oh, because wow. I, do, I do buy this movie. I own this movie. I am a fan of this movie. I take this movie at face value for what it is. To me, this movie is like an art house film. It's yeah. like we've said multiple times, it's kind of like a giant music video with like how flashy it is, the edits, the music, the styling, the sets. It's all, it's all got great concepts and great material. It's just mm -hmm. not all executed quite well for like a cinematic movie, but it is what it is. I feel like if this movie were any longer, it would not be good. Like if this movie were like 10 minutes longer, don't keep it at the length that it's at. Yeah, and honestly, <laughs> they probably could have shaved another 20 or 50 minutes <laughs> off of it. It's all the cut, it's all the it, cutaway. It really is. But I, for some reason, something must have happened somewhere when this movie first came out that made me have like a soft spot for this movie. And yeah. I think that, and that's my own thing. Like I'm putting my own nostalgia glasses on when I watch this movie. Um, and I know this isn't everybody's cup of tea, but it is my cup of tea and I enjoy this tea. It is a good tea. For me though, I'm gonna rent it. I think it is a good time. I'll watch it every once in a while. I, like I said, I will watch it with friends because there is a great style, but I prefer my horror movies with a little more substance. Mm -hmm. I love referencing. I love paying direct homages to things. You're describing Scream. But there's got to be a perspective. And that's what Scream has. With House of a Thousand Corpses, it feels too much like a, I want to do what they did instead of I want to do that, but add something to it. Because for me, this is just like any other okay. 1970s exploitation film. Yeah. Just with more money. Devil's Rejects, I, I we need to do the movie now because I keep talking about Devil's Rejects. <laughs> Devil's Rejects, it takes that and then he adds something to it. And I guess I'll save my rating for that one. But for this one, it is a rent it. It is a good time. Please, mm -hmm. just if there's kids around, get them away. They should not be hearing the words coming out of this movie. <laughs> it's not even the content. It's literally the explicit language. And it it only gets worse with the other sequels. So um, it is it is what it is. And it, like you said, it's a lot of style and not very much substance, which is why it translated so well into a horrifying maze <laughs> at Halloween Horror Nights. Um, but... Those are our final ratings, weirdos. For next week's release, to celebrate our Halloween Horrors Month, we are finally, finally talking The Boogeyman's Return to Haddonfield. Listeners, next week is a very special Halloween crossover episode. Joining us in the store are two very special guests, 
Frankie and Jake from the Fear the Talking Queers. They will be helping us talk our very first Halloween film, 2018's controversial reboot, Halloween. I'm very excited. I'm and very excited. Terrific guests. I'm so excited to have them over. Our first it guest is- of the season. <laughs> We're super stoked. It is going to be a two-week double feature crossover. They will be joining us on our show for 2018's Halloween. And the following week, you can find us on their show for Halloween Kills. I am mm, so excited. My God. This is the first time that A, we're going to be on someone else's show. And B. I know, I got to wear clothes. <laughs> and B, that we're actually covering a like a film that is still out in theaters that you can go out and see right now. Wow. Look at us doing new things, experiencing stuff. Other verbs and nouns. <laughs> Adverbs, adjectives. <laughs> I am so stoked. It is going to be wonderful. I cannot wait to have them on. This is just a little taste of what we have in store for the rest of the season, y'all. We have wonderful guests lined up this season, everybody. I am excited to have them all in the store. If you would like to keep up with us, please follow us on our Instagram at the Carpenter Queens. Our Twitter is at Carpenter Queens. My personal account is Nicholas Alexander Photography. My personal account is at STFU Ray. If you love the store, please follow and subscribe to the Carpenter Queens podcast. Like this episode or rate and leave a comment, please, y'all. Please and thank you. That concludes this week's episode, y'all. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and please tune in next week for quite the crossover episode. I feel like it's going to be like a Scooby-Doo meets like Batman and Robin episode. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next one. Stay safe and stay queer, y'all. Bye. 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 Bye.